Prepare Like a Pro podcast. This week on the show, we have Phil Merriman. He's the high performance manager of the Fremantle Dockers. Uh, previously, before being at Freer, he was the head of strength and conditioning at Melbourne Football Club. He was also part of Hawthorne's strength and conditioning team from 2011 to 2017. So, had a lot of success there, where he held separate roles in both rehabilitation manager and a physical performance coach. Prior to commencing his career in the AFL, he was coaching multiple hockey teams in the Victorian Premier League. And before we start this episode 29, the Prepare Like a Pro podcast mission is to empower aspiring athletes and staff with practical knowledge with some of the industry's most inspiring individuals and to strengthen the AFL community. If you like the show, please follow us on Instagram as well as subscribe to the podcast. We're on YouTube, iTunes, and Spotify. All right, I'm just going to invite Phil on now. G'day, mate. How you going? Good, Jack. How are you? Yeah, very good, mate. Thanks for jumping on. Dramas at all. Good to be here. Anthony Fernand's just just jumped on there. Oh, the Fern. Fern. I don't think I've seen him join uh, one of these chats, so good to see uh, Fern getting really, amongst it. Me and Fern have got a great relationship, actually, I think. Yeah, no, he's, he's a ripping man and a great physio. He sure is. Yeah, I was lucky enough to get to know him at my short stint at Hawks, so yeah, we worked very closely with the young boys. Good boy, good man, doing big things now as well. Thanks for everyone for jumping on as well, guys. Just a reminder that if you want to send a question for Phil, we'll, we'll spend a few minutes at the end of our chat uh, for a bit of a and a so you can hit the question button at the bottom of our screen to, to send through a question. Uh, we'll dive straight into it, mate. You've had a, a good career in this strength and conditioning game. Take us back to the beginning. When, when did you recognise you had a passion for fitness or strength and physical preparation? with athletes? It probably wasn't early on. I was a field hockey player. I had a bit of skill, but I didn't really have a a great deal of of fitness, to be honest. And it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't in my repertoire to be, I guess, a high level preparer for the game. And then once I'd finished school, I got, I had a, a, found a passion again for the game. I enrolled myself, sorry, I went overseas, did a bit of uh, gap year work teaching PE. I came back and I was actually enrolled in a a design uh, university degree. And when I came back, I just thought, wow, that's uh, so far from me. It's not funny. Not a very creative person. So I uh, enrolled in uh, a fitness course, just one of the Cert 3 or whatever it was back in the day, early 2000s with a mate of mine, did the personal training course, started personal training, did the Australian Strength and Conditioning Level 1. And that's what really spiked me when I was um, probably about 19 years old. The course was run at the VIS and there was a guy there called Chris Hink who's well known in the conditioning circles. So he spent some time, he won a flag at Geelong with running the Geelong program. And he was also running the VIS hockey programs at the time. And I thought, wow, wow, that is, a, that is a job that I would really like to do. So that started me on a course of, I guess, my bachelor and then into my master's. And the rest is history, I guess. Out of the master's, I started working with a very well-known uh, man by the name of John Quinn. He's, he wouldn't like me saying the word guru, but he's as close as we can get to a guru. He taught me a lot of things that, the hard way. And then I found myself at the Hawks in Melbourne and, and so on. So that was my journey. Yeah, fantastic, mate. So so with the PT, you, you mentioned you were 19 years old when you did the ASCA Level 1 and you were, yep. you were doing some personal training. Were you training people with that Cert 3, 4 course or was it? Yeah, no, I spent I spent 10 years personal training from, yeah, from 19 all the way through all my uni. And I kept going once I was doing some ex-phys clinic work with Quinny, I was still doing some personal training. And during that time when I was personal training, look, I didn't know how important it was for my development as a coach. I've watched a few of your chats and most people say the same thing. Those formative years when you're, you're learning to coach, you're working with 65-year-old women who have been divorced and in a, a real uh, rut in their life and you've, you've yeah. got to help them through that. You're working with uh, 14-year-old boys who are trying to make it in a sport at that age. 
uh, you develop your softer skills more so than when you work in, in an industry like the AFL. So looking back on it, that it, it's such a valuable time in my in my career development. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, there has been a bit of a trend amongst S&Cs, which, which is interesting, getting that, like you said, the softer skills and the personal side of things, the art of coaching does take t- You can read about it, I guess, but you do need to be able to apply it on the fly, yeah. don't you? And, Humans Absolutely. are pretty complex. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's really cool, mate. That's it's good to get an understanding of yeah your journey to where you are today, which you're at the highest level, which is cool to hear your journey from the very start. You mentioned that you're a hockey player yourself. There seems to, I've never played hockey, but it seems like there'd be some similarities in running patterns and acceleration D cells to footy. When you did that after level one, were you set on a particular sport? Did you think footy was going to be the one, or were you open to where your journey sort of took you? Yeah. So I had to retire from hockey early because of a a bad hip injury. So that also took me into field hockey coaching. When I first started the journey, when I saw Chris Hink at the VIS, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be be at the VIS in the institutes. And that probably, until until I got a job in footy, that didn't really waver. I I still want, I was still pretty passionate about working in the institute. I never got to do it. When you're talking about the movement patterns of footy and hockey, they, they are, they can be pretty similar. I sort of think midfielders in footy are, are pretty similar as, as far as their in-close, short, sharp movements. I know there's there's been tactics and techniques used by both sports that have been borrowed from each other. Like the, I'm pretty sure Batco did a lot of work with the Kookaburras back in the day and working on his press. Hockey's pretty well known for being quite attacking with their pressing. So yeah, that's, I guess, in short, I spent, as far as my, my field hockey coaching career, I, I spent about 10 years coaching Premier League in Victoria, which... Again, was a, a huge part of my development. Did it across three clubs. So, yeah, that, that's been immense as well. So that was the, you were the tactical skills coach, not strength and conditioning coach, yeah? For hockey? Yeah. No, you know, I was the, the head coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. not strength and conditioning. I, at, at almost every other club, every club that I coached, I brought someone in to do the, the S&C work because it was just another, a different voice. I didn't yeah. really want to delve into that area. I wanted to focus on the on the technical, technical, tactical side of the game. So, yeah. Interesting. So you mentioned how personal training has helped shape the softer side, your strength and conditioning later on. What about the fact that you had 10 years experience with the tactical? Because that's a unique skill set that I haven't met many SNCs that have done that. Does that help you the relationship with the skills coaches at the clubs that you've worked at, Melbourne, Hawthorne, Fremantle? Um, yeah, I think so, but I wouldn't say a great deal. Any of the footy coaches out there and hockey coaches, once you're in a, it's very difficult once you're in a set, a mindset of the way that you want to play. It's very hard to bring in, say, some ideas from another sport and go, all right, put that in your program. So over time, there's probably been a couple of windows where I've been able to have a little bit of influence as far as the football program, but not a great deal where I guess the skills from my field hockey coaching comes from is being able to, one, talk in front of groups, but also being able to talk to coaches because I've been in, I guess, their shoes, but also being able to talk to board members and presidents and doing board reports and all that sort of stuff. They're all introduced to me as the, the head or senior coach within hockey. And obviously that's a big part of my role now, reporting to boards and, and committees and all those sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, uh, and that's a skill set in itself presenting as well. So it all helps. Oh, that's amazing, mate. That's good to hear. So, so then you mentioned Quinny. Uh, so he's someone that's had an influence in your career. Did he connect you to Andrew Russell at Hawthorne, or, or how did you come into work um, at Hawthorne Footy Club? In, in a roundabout way, it's, it's a bit of a long story. But through my hockey circles, a good friend of mine who brought me to a hockey club is Dr. Peter Peter Bruckner, who's been a massive part of my career development, yep. as he has with pretty much every physio and every doctor around the around the world. Really, he wrote the book that they all they all study. So yeah, he introduced me to John Quinn. Started working with John and worked with him for the best part of two years. 
and then Peter actually moved to Liverpool uh, Football Club. And by coincidence, Peter Burge had left Hawthorne, who's the current very successful high-performance manager at, at the Tigers. And there was an opening at, at Hawthorne, and I rang Brookie and just said, do you want anyone at Hawthorne? And sh- through sheer coincidence, at that time, Andrew Russell was at Liverpool, at Anfield, on a fact-finding mission, basically. So he was he was able to drop my name in it. And then Jack rang me uh, when he got back to Australia, and I was lucky enough to get the rehab role at, at Hawthorne. So oh, yeah. uh, it speaks to it speaks a fair bit to luck, number one, but also the networks that you create are pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. So he, so Andrew was doing a bit of research, was he, at the Liverpool program? That Yeah, he was around going around Europe. He was looking at a bit of the altitude training stuff that was around that time. So he went okay. to, I think he was in Sierra Nevada or something and, and then popped across to the UK to see a few few football clubs over there. Yeah, right. Okay, cool. And that was a part-time role rehab back then or was it? No, no. Uh, yeah, full-time. Um, on a part-time wage. That's what you got to do, footy. isn't it? Yeah. That's footy. Yeah, no, it was it was full-time and I took it as more than full-time. I just delved right into it. I wasn't attached to any girlfriend or anything at the time, so I could get my hands real dirty and, and really get to know the place. And it was terrific years at Hawthorne. Yeah, yeah, great timing. So that would have been like the three premierships? Yeah, so I started yeah, it late in 2011 and finished in 2017. And I mean, yeah, some of the people that I've just mentioned have helped me along the way. Obviously, Brookie and John Quinn, Andrew Russell has been massive in my development. Watching him go about his business at the Hawks. Andrew Lambert, another one of your mates, who's been huge. Luke Boyd, who's obviously the current Hawks physical performance manager. And he, we used to bounce ideas off each other a lot in the office back in the day. And it was, it was such a great environment where we're all working together. I look back on those days and I could walk into the doctor's office and he'd take me through scans, which would help me in the process of working out my rehab plans and it was a great time and moved to Melbourne and, and under David Misson, who's another outstanding man in the in the game, and and Rob Jackson, who was at Melbourne at the time as well. He's a big part of, of me. And then more recently, Darren Burgess. So I've been so lucky to have such amazing well, role models and, and mentors along the way. Yeah, absolutely. So, you, so Melbourne, Dave Misson was, was high performance manager for the first year, was it? And then yeah. uh, Burgess yeah. had time under Burgess. So you were head yeah. S&C. And, and then you had your rehab at Melbourne as well. Yeah, so uh, I, I took a break from footy for the summer and then just got to where Sarah and I had, a, had my firstborn, Harry. So I got to know him over the summer and then I took a, just a part-time role at, at Melbourne Footy Club and, and that was under Miso, just as the rehab strength coach. And then that went to full-time role the following year doing a, a sort of broad range of things. Then Miso d- decided to take off to Toronto with his wife who got a great job over there and they sort of reshuffled the decks for half a year and... I guess, put me in charge as the physical performance manager. And then the following year, Burjo came in and, and got stuck in. So good time and good people. Yeah, fantastic. And did you mention you had a summer off, as in you left footy for a, a summer? Yeah. Yeah, no, I got out. It was partly, I think it was just, I was probably getting a bit stale at Hawthorne at the time, but there was also a travel element to it. So yeah, it was yeah. taking me, uh, I was living in Mooney Ponds and we were driving, driving out to Mulgrave. So losing two and a half, sometimes three yeah, hours um, a day. With I was leaving before Harry would awake and then get home just as he was going to bed. So it was partly a bit of a lifestyle choice. And then during that summer, I, I went back to PT, group training, found yeah, a little bit of a niche, niche market of, obviously, Sarah just had a baby. So I found a, a niche market of a mother's group that wanted to get yeah, fit yeah. after having a baby. So opened up. Yeah, that's right. With followed by yeah. the coffee and and all of that, yeah. and it was a bit of uh, personal training, but a little bit of babysitting and 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 all of the above. So that was that was good. I wouldn't say it was the best time of my life, but I still enjoyed it. And, and then got back into it sort of around the start of the season that year. Wow, that's 
That's incredible. I just the fact that you you made that decision for yourself and your family, and then got back in into the system as well so quickly, and then it's just been pretty much linear progression since you did. So obviously made the right call. What was that a gut? instinct feeling that you made yep. that call where you just felt you had to yeah, it was i sort of went home one day and back to sarah and i said oh, i'm just really struggling with going out here and, and she said well just quit just go and do something else i thought <laughs> and i sat on it for a few days and then went into jack's office and just said i think it's time and time for me to move on so and that was it and it was looking back on it it was at the time it wasn't a hard decision probably moving into february march the next year i was sort of thinking oh geez have i made the right decision but looking back now it was a great decision because i got to spend time with harry and have a bit of time off yeah absolutely oh that's great and it's good for because they'll be developing footballs listening absolutely for them but also for the snc's that are listening uh, you've dropped a lot of gems along the way in terms of listening you know that one there listening to yourself and, and looking after your family and, and your core values so that's mm. and then you still you are where you are now so it, it all worked out which is awesome so that's great news mate yeah, and so Fremantle, Fremantle came uh, on board what was that process like and you're obviously yep. interesting year with COVID and, and everything else since you started yeah, yeah. for those that don't know what a high performance manager does what would be a way that you'd explain your, your role oh, there at Fremantle yeah, I mean a high performance manager is a pretty varied role from club to club but generally uh, I'm the guy that gets all the information from all the S&C the reconditioning guys and um, the physios medical doctor and I sit together and, and plan a lot of the stuff both in the reconditioning and main program and obviously a lot of the information has to carry across to footy managers and coaches I'm the guy that plans the, the main main group's team loading and make sure that it, the strength program along with Dan Zaknich is complementing the the work that we're doing outside in on field so that's a very quick answer to your question the way that it came about was last year in the hub, we were up in um, Cairns and I caught up with an old mate of mine, David Hale, who's a pre-time premiership player at Hawthorne and asked just what was going on at Frio and he just inquired and I ended up getting an interview, which was great. Highly recommend going through those processes. Even if you don't get the job, you're, you're adding to your tool belt. And then, yeah, so I ended up getting the, the role over here, much to Sarah was happy that I got the role and she was excited, <laughs> but we'd actually just built our forever home which uh, is, right. yep. I think in about 13 days that we're going to get the keys to hand over. Yeah, well, it's, well, I won't be able to live in it. So, And Sarah, I think she's still over in Melbourne with the kids and they'll move over whenever the border's open to Perth. So, yeah, that's where I got to. Yeah, well, yeah, we had some good news today. So things are opening up back in Vic. So yep. should be able to, Sarah should be able to come over soon, I'm sure. Yeah. These five days are working for us Australians. You guys set the tone over <laughs> yeah. in Perth and yeah. they're not bad. Little circuit breakers. Yeah, little circuit breakers are... The, the Perth crew, the Perthonites over here didn't really know what to do with five, five days was like a massive shock to their system compared to the Victorians who know how to go, do it and do it well. So, yeah, a bit different over here. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you've mentioned we've, we've had a good chat about your journey. What about for developing footballers? You've seen a lot of high-level uh, footballers from a few different clubs now. Is there a consistent trait that you see, whether it be the mental side, the way they go about their craft or, or their, the physical side in terms of their athleticism? Is there something that you, with the Fremantle developing players that you, you focus on as a fundamental area of the um, game? That you... not, not, I wouldn't say particularly we focus on, but I guess one of the traits that I've noticed across all three clubs is the ones that can play 200 games and are very successful in their career. They never lose the curiosity to become better. And that plays out in, in a, a range of different behaviours. Sometimes it's out and out just getting in front of the coaches and just doing constant extras and in the gym, making sure they tick every box. What, where can I do more? Whereas the other, there's another way of the subtlety of just getting getting things done in your own time, unseen. So that curiosity is something that 
becomes habit for these players. And mm-hmm. and no matter where you're a two-time Brownlow medalist, Nat Fife or Luke Bruce, All-Australian, absolute superstar, they're, they're always on the on the quest to find out ways to do things better. That would be the, the trait that comes up the most in, in all of those athletes. And then I guess our role is to be able to harness that and work with and foster that curiosity and make sure they're getting the most out of their training by training smart and making sure they don't do anything silly because athletes are athletes and they'll always push the boundaries. Not always, but they'll regularly try and push the boundaries and it's just about educating them on what they, they can do at the right times. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, I love that, that curiosity. Have there been athletes that surprise you where they get drafted to the club and the coaching department or staff have recognised that they're not showing signs of curiosity, but then they do later on in their career? Like, do you think it's trainable? Yeah, I think it is. And, and that's just through the, I guess, if you've got leaders at your, at your footy club, using Hawthorne as an example, that can drive that type of behaviour and, and that culture I don't like your word culture, but that drive, that that type of behaviour, it sort of gets ingrained into the club and the ones that don't do the work or aren't curious about becoming better, they get found out pretty quickly and they get spat out pretty quickly. And there's plenty, there's plenty that come in. In, in fact, I'd say 60 or 70% of the young guys that come into clubs, they don't know how to train and they don't know how to be cu- curious. And mm. it's an education piece on what, coaches, strength and conditioning, even medical, about how to best learn these behaviours. So it's very rare that there'd be players that come into the into the system that are re- ready to go. They've got to learn it all. And what's important for, that, for them to be able to uh, make that change? Is it being comfortable in the environment from a psychological point of view or, or how do the different teams, medical strength conditioning coaches, how do you guys go about doing that or creating that? Change? It sounds like... It sounds like an easy question, but I think it, it does also depend on the environment that's created within the footy club. Some, t- some footy clubs are player-led. Hawthorne was a, very much a player-led environment where players drove the standards. And when there was issues or where there was things that came up, it wasn't coaches or S&C or medical standing there, waving their finger and yelling, yelling at them. It was more around let, let the leaders know and the leaders will deal with, um, deal with it. So it, it does depend on what sort of environment you're going into. Sometimes you'll have to be the bad cop. Sometimes you'll be wrapping your arms around them and, and making sure they know they're supported, whether it's been becoming better or whacking them over the, over the years for turning up late regularly. You've got to understand the environment to make those decisions. Yeah, fantastic. Awesome, mate. I appreciate you sharing that intel. To the guys watching now, for you guys to ask the questions. So, Ethan, you got the first one, mate. How did you get into the high-performance industry? You may have mentioned this one earlier. but Yeah, so my initial entry into the high-performance industry Peter Bruckner introduced me to John Quinn, who had who had left the football industry, left Essendon Football Club, and started his own performance rehabilitation business at Olympic Park Sports Medicine. So I started working with him as the SNC underneath him, and later became the ex Fizz. And then I was doing a little bit of work when John left, and he went to the GWS Giants as the high performance manager. I started doing some work with their underage athletes that were living in Melbourne and we would go up in the school holidays and start do two weeks of, of work with the footy club and then go back down and, and I'd, I'd train with them at their school. So that was my entry point into elite sport and then from that point I was planning on potentially moving to Sydney to join the Giants full time but then got the call from, from Andrew Russell and and got started then. Fantastic. This one's from M. Taylor. What's the biggest thing you look for when hiring tips for application process as a sports scientist? Good question. One of my most important things to ask an applicant has nothing to do with their craft and what they do. It's got more to do with who they are as a person. So where have you come from? Tell me a bit about yourself is generally my, my most important question. As long as they've got 
and they usually the, the applicants have come recommended from people within the industry. So I know that they've got a level of competence and making sure that we get good people within the footy club or the environment is the most important part of it. And what you can find out is that when they answer the question of who are you and where have you come from, you get a bit of knowledge about how hard they've worked to get to that point and how hard their parents have worked and all that sort of thing. And it's nothing to be ashamed of to talk about your parents and what they've done in their life. Gives you a bit of an insight of the the upbringing and the type of person that you've got in front of you. Fantastic. That's great advice there for Taylor. Andy Shandy has written in the comments section, so I'll just have to scroll this one here. What key points make a good leader? Can you coach leadership? Question. What key points make a good leader uh, for me? And again, it differs from person to person, but first and foremost is that you've always got the group's intentions at the front of your mind, not your own. So group or club or whatever it might be that you're always front of mind, you're making sure that what's required for the group. That for me is is big. Can it be coached? Can it be taught? Oh, that's a good question. You can probably manipulate it and synthetically bring it into someone who may not have that ingrained in them and they can almost fake it until you make it sort of thing. My feeling is you have a good level of leadership built into you and you can make you can allow that to grow and foster. Not every one of us are leaders. That's just not the case. Yeah, Some people aren't born to be leaders and that's and that's that's okay as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Andy Simone Austin has just mentioned as well. She said that's uh doing a round of interviews tomorrow, so I'll ask that question, Phil. There you go. <laughs> Who is that, sorry? <laughs> dietitian from Oh no. So there you go. You never know where these things lead to. <laughs> thanks, mate. Well, thanks for jumping on. It's been a great chat. I've definitely got plenty from it, and I'm sure all the footballers as well as high-performance staff that are watching Sports Ionist s have got plenty too. So, yeah, really appreciate you coming on, and it's been a great chat, mate. No worries. Thanks for having me on, mate. I hope everything's going well in the gym that you've opened up there. It looks pretty exciting for you. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to have – yeah, Hal's doing a good job, mate, and we're, we're doing yeah. our best to – create a good sort of different experience for general population. So like you mentioned, the personal yeah. training side of things, bring a bit of athletic training to, to everyone, which is yeah not out there in the market at the moment. So it's been fun. Great stuff. Love what you're doing. Thanks, Jack. Yeah. Awesome, Phil. All the best All right. for the season coming up as well, mate. Thank you. Cheers. See you guys. Thanks for listening, guys. If you enjoyed the chat, make sure to subscribe to our iTunes, Spotify, or you can follow us on Instagram. And if you're interested in working with one of our AFL Experience coaches, head over to our website, preparelikeapro.com. We work with people both in a one-on-one capacity as well as online training programs. And you can join over a 1,000 athletes by subscribing to our website where you'll get free training programs and presentations from us. So head over to preparelikeapro.com to subscribe. And thanks for your support for watching the chat with Phil tonight. We'll speak soon. Cheers, guys.